Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to the Showing Up to Your Life podcast and YouTube channel. My name is Art Burns. I really hope you're having a great day today. I wish you well, and I hope that uh, I hope you're you're managing to uh, to maintain your level of of, of presence. You're uh, you're able to accept the things that are arising for you today, not in a way that you can't change them, but but accepting them so that you can change them. And I hope that you're allowing compassion to lead you, and I hope that curiosity is also something you're holding. You're you're nestling inside of curiosity so that you can have this sort of natural wonder about what is arising for you because that is sometimes the best way to <clears throat> to to you know to experience what we're experiencing accept what it is that we're experiencing you know without this sort of like oh no things should be this way or, or I wish things were this way oftentimes it is just a very simple concept of just being curious about what is happening to you that can make all the difference with that and it can also make a huge difference with children right you know when we can you know encourage children who are curious by nature right when we can encourage them to be curious about what's going on with their emotions and curious about what's going on with their you know their their physical sensations and and their their thoughts you know when we can encourage a curiosity in children this is going to lead to an, a, a a more you know basically more awareness and that ultimately that becomes more regulation and I'm going to talk now about how important that is right and so the title of this uh, this video today or this podcast today will be you know why is it's important to teach children mindfulness practices. You know, the other day I was on the phone with a, or on a video conference call with one of my clients and um, and it kind of occurred to us both almost at the same time that, um, that, that you know, this is a person who's in his mid-30s. You know, he actually doesn't happen to have children uh, at this point in his life. Um, but, but we discussed, you know, <clears throat> We were discussing during the call, you know, the importance of the ability to see our emotions and to not react to the motion, emotions that we're feeling and seeing. And, and, and in that non-reaction, that, that first step of just being able to just not react suddenly and, and spontaneously to what's going on with us, that's the first step to, to healthy regulation. And almost at the same time, we, we both said, could you imagine if every child growing up had these tools? Could you imagine if we if we taught this like we teach math and English and, and social studies to children as they grow up? I mean, could you imagine the, the years of, of suffering and, and pain and, and, and confusion that could be avoided? Because right now, you know, what I do is I spend my days working with people who are adults, right? Who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, even I don't have anybody older than fifty, but um, or outside of their fifties. But 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 I spend time with all these adults trying to unpack, you know, all of these years of of the choices and the habits and the tendencies and the the resentments and the the confusion and the the overwhelm that has been, you know, that, that's that's been a result of the experience that they've had since they were little children, right? Because the fact of the matter is, right, if you're a thirty-five year old person, right? Then then your life has been comprised of of roughly a billion seconds, right? Like if you're 35 year old years old, you have lived 1 billion seconds of time, 
right? And what happens is in each one of those seconds, right? You know, we can call the, the, the clock second as a moment, right? Like that is the present moment. Like it's a, that's as, as tiny as we can get it, right? And also as big as we can get it, but that's a different uh, conversation. But, but basically what's happening is that, that who we are now, right like like the 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 flavors of ice cream that i like and the the music that i like to listen to the things that bother me the things that make me happy the things that turn me on the things that 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 gross me out all of this stuff is a is a culmination a sum total of each experience that i've had during those billion seconds that i've been alive now for me i'm 52 year almost 52 years old so i've been more more like uh 1.5 billion almost you know um but the 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 point is though that that that's what we are right our our sense of self our of and and again all of our desires all of our tendencies all of our habits all of our personality traits right they are all a, a culmination of every single experience that we've had and specifically to our emotional reactions to them okay um you know our minds themselves right like the thing that we call the mind right is not something that is just grown on its own in a vacuum right it is very much a uh a created by the environment in which we live and, and in which we grow up right and so so, so the thing is that that all of these different uh, moments and 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 tendencies and 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 you know preferences and and you know uh, uh, un, you know disgust and 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 love and all of this stuff that makes us who we are, right? Like the fact that I I love you know certain foods and I detest other foods, right? Like like that thing that I am, right, is is a is a product of not just every single thing that I've experienced, right? Because maybe I had, you know, maybe I ate uh, black olives when I was a kid and, and I, you know, I, I happen to love black olives now, but I didn't love black olives all the time, right? Why didn't I love black olives all the time, right? It's not because of the olive, right? It's because of the emotional reaction that I had to that first um, experience of black olives and black olives specifically is a thing for me because when I was little I was maybe about 10 years old and uh, one of my friends was eating these black olives and he made it look so delicious like like I was like oh my gosh this thing look I gotta have one of these things it looks so good it looked almost like it was pieces of chocolate you know and the way that he was eating them was like you're, you're like downing all the chocolate like give me one before they're gone and I put that thing in my mouth and it was so not what I expected it to be it was literally a traumatic experience for me like I had to like I was spitting for for an hour trying to get that taste out of my mouth I couldn't stand it right and so I grew up as a person who no I don't like black olives right until lo and behold another emotional experience and this one was of love right this was a, a, an experience where I was you know in a beautiful restaurant on a date with a, a, a woman who I really was very very excited to be with you know this woman ap actually happens to be my wife at this point and, and she was like no no you got to try this olive this is different and and trying that I fell in love with it right so again the emotional connection that I had to it was that strong right at one point it, it completely turned me off of it and at another point the emotions completely you know 
uh, you know, brought me back into it, right? And the point that I'm making here, the, the point that I'm trying to come at when I talk about um, the the emotions, right, is that is that all of these different things that we do, right, all of these different experiences that we have and these little things that we've done across these billions of seconds that we've been alive, right, this is what becomes the implicit memories, right? So I had this implicit memory of olives being horrible, you know? And so you couldn't get me to try an olive until there was this woman who was so, you know, it was like I was so, you know, wanted to impress her with my openness that I finally tried an olive again, you know? Um, and so the idea then is that, you know, implicit memory is really, you know, again, implicit memory is something that we, you know, we, we all have, you know, the implicit memories is what kind of, you know, guides us through our lives, right? Like, like it's, it's this unconscious set of, of memories and understandings of the way the world works, right? And this is how we make our decisions. This is how we, we, we decide what we're going to, you know, we're going to go left or we're going to go right. It's based on the implicit memories, right, that we have, right? That, that going left towards this thing, I have this Im implicit memory of that being a painful experience, and so I go right, right? And of course, that's a simple and silly example. And obviously, if, we, if you and I were to talk a little bit about some of your, you know, desires and your your loathing and your, you know, your your you know tendencies, you know, we could start to piece together some of those implicit memories. And the idea, of course, with mindfulness is to bring those implicit memories to the explicit consciousness, right? And when we can do that, now we can understand it. Right? But that's not what this video is about. This video is about the, the, the emotions that are involved with this process, right? Because the thing is that when you form a memory, right, and we're forming memories all the time, Right, every second of every day, you are you are you know like you know the way that you pour coffee into a cup, the way that you put you know just so much sugar, all that stuff. Every single thing that we're doing, every little tiny thing that we're doing, right, is 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 building into a memory, right. And as we do things more and more frequently with repetition, those memories become deeper and deeper and deeper. The other thing that impacts the depth of our memory and the thing that, that creates, you know, really what they call long-term memory, right? Like those really strong memories that we have, right? They're about the, the emotion, right? This is why, you know, you, you don't remember every single meal that you eat, right? There's no way that you can remember every single meal that you eat. You, you, you drive yourself mad if you try to remember every single thing that you ate every single day, right? However, you know, we all can remember that that night, you know, on a date, you know, five years ago where I had the most amazing, you know, dish in my entire life, right? Like I can remember like how, you know, and it's amazing how you can remember certain aspects of that, you know, certain details of that experience that are really, really vivid, right? The reason why you can remember that so vividly is because of the emotional, you know, involvement that you had with it, right? And and so I would venture to guess if it's something like a meal, right? That that the meals that you remember the most, right, are probably around things like dates, uh, birthdays, you know, parties, um, you know, a, a burger before the the greatest concert that you ever saw. You know these kind of things, right? Because your emotional um, uh, uh, connection to the experience was so strong that your brain, you know, formed a deeper level of memory, right? And so, so you know, so when, with kids now, 
right? As kids are growing up, right? They're, they're going through their schooling, they're going through their peers and their peer pressure, and they're going through the difficulty of, of, of navigating this relationship, this, this daily changing relationship with their parents and with everybody around them. They're dealing with their constant changes of their own bodies, right? Like their brains are under construction for years and years and years, and their bodies also, everything is just bursting with action. You know, and our kids are, are sort of, you know, at times grappling with all of this. And, and there's a lot of emotions that are going to be involved with this, right? The emotions for their whole lives are pushing them and pulling them in the different directions, right? Pushing them towards things that they want and pulling them away from things that they don't want, right? And, and so every time one of these emotional things happens, those memories of whatever they're doing right then and there are, you know, become more you know, more strong and uh, stronger implicit memories, right? And, and so, so the idea is, right, that, that when a child is bullied, for, one, for instance, right, there's a lot of fear involved with being bullied, right? And that bullying then is going to create whatever happens during that bullying situation, right? If a child is told, oh, you're fat, you know, then, you know, that memory is, you know, implicitly, it's not going to be something that you necessarily call to mind consciously, but implicitly, you're going to remember that you're going to associate the, the sensation of, of being told that you're fat with an extreme level of fear and, and vulnerability and, 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 you know, and weakness and, and, you know, and, and, and that's going to form part of your personality. And then generally speaking, what happens is that person, right, that person who had a very strong emotional uh, experience, right, with having been called fat, then that person is probably going to struggle with their weight for their whole lives, you know? just so happens that I happen to be one of those people, right? And this was something that wasn't even a bullying situation. I'm gonna tell you right now that uh, it was when I was uh, joining the neighborhood soccer team, right? It was like, you know, soccer was a new thing when I was a kid, you know? When I was eight years old, soccer was not as popular as it is now, you know? And so this one guy was, was forming this league, you know, they were gonna go travel to different neighborhoods, different parts of New York City to play other kids and stuff. And so he was putting together the team, right, for the first time. And of course, everybody's all excited, and I wanted to be in on it. I was like really excited to do it, and and one day, and and I have to say, he was very kind about it. He was very, uh, you know, he he tried to. Um you know, he tried to be uh, gentle and kind about it, right? But basically what he told me was that I had to be the goalie because I was overweight and I wouldn't be fast enough on the field, you know? And, you know, lo and behold, I mean, a few years ago, I had to lose 100 pounds to get to where I am now. And I've already given a few of them back. Like I've already taken a few of them back. And I'm not, you know, the weight that I was when I lost 100 pounds. I'm not the weight, I'm not 100 pounds back, but but certainly like with COVID-19, I put on my COVID-19, you know? And so, so and, and weight has always been something that's been difficult for me, right? And so this has a real life, real world application to it, right? It wasn't just about how I felt about my weight. It is actually a very serious problem for me, a very, not serious problem, but a very, you know, a very strong difficulty for me to manage my weight properly, right? And this is, you know, again, goes right back to that one moment that happened, 
right? But now in that moment, if I had known how to manage my emotions and I had known how to sort of let go of what this person was saying and, and understand that, that he's, you know, like, you know, if I had, if I had learned that, that, you know, the emotions that I was feeling or the, the body weight itself, the body image is not me. That's just my body, right? And if I had known that back then when I was eight years old, I probably would have caused my, I would have, probably would have saved myself a lot of, of, of trouble with my weight. And I probably would have saved myself a lot of emotional um, uh, anguish that came from it, right? And, and instead, I grew up as a very angry person. I grew up as a very um, uh, jealous person. I grew up with a very strong, a very weak sense of, uh, of, of, of self-worth, right? And this is all, you know, not just that one soccer coach, but that was part of it, right? And, and so what else happened throughout my life, right? What else was there that, that all those little moments, now of course I can't remember them, right? That's, that's the implicit part of it. Now, as I journal and as I explore myself, I can unpack it now, which is what I'm doing for my clients now, right? We're, we're kind of, you know, I mean, I'm not a psychotherapist or anything, so I'm not getting into like the, you know, the trauma part of it, but what I'm doing is I'm teaching them how to open open up their, their uh, consciousness to those implicit memories that, that have been, you know, impacting them all along, right? But the idea is like, imagine if we taught our kids how to manage these emotions and how to control the stress levels that come because that's where it is, right? I felt stress in that moment. I felt fear. I felt I was not, I was not accepted for who I am. And so I became feared. Uh, afraid and that fear you know created the stress response so whatever else happened during that conversation maybe my coach said something really beautiful about me you know but it didn't register because the fear the stress that, that came from the fear had taken over right because when we experience stress right we're not in control anymore of our perceptions and our thoughts right um, the stress is an emotional you know it's an emotional and automatic um, uh, a, you know, action that happens to us, right? And again, it's one thing to try to fix all this when you're 30, 40, 50 years old, but imagine if we could have been moderating it and modulating it throughout our lives, right? As children, we could have avoided all of this, right? And, um, and you know, and, you know, because another thing that happens and another reason why it's very important or very valuable to teach kids how to, you know, th these mindfulness practices is that it will reduce the stress in, in the first place, right? Because when we're in the stress response, right, we're not learning, right? We're not remembering things, right? Except like really negative things, right? We're, we're not really, you know, like I say in this podcast, this is the showing up to your life podcast. When we're in the stress response, we cannot show up to our lives, not in the way that we can without the stress response, right? And so, so teaching kids, you know, mindfulness practices, you know, what it does is gives them the tools to regulate their stress and their emotions and allows for a conscious and intentional maturation, Right. And, and that's the thing. Right. Because because, you know, it, it's about maturing, you know, in a, in a healthy way. Right. Like our bodies are going to mature. Right. Our bodies are going to grow. The, the hormones are going to do their thing. The, the brain size is going to get to be what it is. Right. But we're talking about emotional maturation, too. 
right? And so a few a few weeks ago, I did another podcast where I mentioned, you know, like the people that you see like getting angry at like servers in restaurants or baristas. I mean, you know, every once in a while you'll see a, a video online of somebody just treating somebody just absolutely awfully, right? Well, that's emotional regulation or lack of emotional regulation on the part of the person doing the abuse in that situation, right? And on the receiving end, if that person doesn't, you know, doesn't have the kind of tools that we talk about in this podcast, well, then they are going to, you know, experience a, a very disproportionate and very, very strong aspect of, of, of upset from that and, and damage, right? And so the thing is, though, right, that when the kids, when our kids grow up to be in their 30s, right, they, they, they won't need coaching and therapy, right, <laughs> to, to heal the wounds they, they, because they'll have a mastery over the emotions that create the wounds, right? Because the thing is, right, that, that unresolved stress today in a young child, right, eventually becomes an angry disposition later or a crippling fear of the world that makes them, you know, hide in a dead-end job, right? Or, or the inability to, to be vulnerable with others and, and inhibiting their, their romantic relationships, right? Or as Dr. Gabor Mate tells us, right, children who are unable to, to manage and express in a healthy way their big emotions specifically with anger, well, they're gonna wind up with very, very scary health health risks, right? Like, you know, Dr. Mate said in a, a video that I referenced the other day in my podcast that I watched, he says, he says, you know, um, when kids grow up, you know, when kids are, are not uh, allowed to express themselves, right? And they don't know how to, you know, how to, to sort of manage that whole process of expressing themselves, well, you know, what Dr. Monte says is, I used to talk to them in the palliative care ward when they have cancer, you know? And that's the thing, right? Stress itself becomes part of the emotional implicit memory that I'm talking about, right? Like stress itself becomes an automatic thing, right? The, the, you know, because you practice it, right? That's the thing, right? You practice stress just like you practice anything else. You practice being angry just like you practice anything else. Whether you mean to practice it or not is a different question, but you are practicing it by getting angry all the time, by getting stressed all the time. You are practicing it, and therefore it becomes closer and closer and more and more automatic. And as it becomes automatic, that's when it has really, really big impacts in our lives, right? Like the ability to hold down a job because you get too angry all the time. The ability, like I said, to have a, a, a fruitful and loving relationship with someone because you're not available, right? You know, that's what we're talking about here, right? And ultimately, it results, you know, for our kids, it results in, in happiness and fulfillment for them. And isn't that what we want as children? I mean, as, as, as parents, right? That's what we want for our children. We want them to be happy and more fulfilled in their lives, right? And this work, you know, when we can train children to do this work, that's what the result will be. More happiness, more fulfillment, more regulation, more ability to, to function in society.
And isn't that what we want for them, right? Now, here's the thing, right? Yes, there should be institutional teaching of, of mindfulness, and, and I'm working on that, right? I, I, you know, every every couple of weeks, I send an email out to the, the director of the public schools here in Denver to, to try to get in there to start teaching children this work. You know, that's something that is a goal of mine, and I'm trying. It's unfortunately not a big priority for a lot of uh, school administrators right now, right? It's coming along. There are definitely, in the UK, they're doing a lot of great work with, um, with, with mindfulness in schools. And in, in, in America, a couple of stories I've heard is where teachers are, are replacing, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> detention. <coughs> pardon me replacing detention with meditation and it's having enormous benefits but for now right we can't wait for the schools to catch up we can't wait for the institutions to catch up to all this so what we can do now is we can model it for our kids right we can show our kids how we regulate ourselves how we work on ourselves with these practices so that we can, um, so that when we become more balanced and they see that we're more balanced, they see how good it feels and they see the, the benefits. They see that we're not yelling as much. We, they see that we're not, uh, we're not reactive to things, right? And that becomes attractive to them. That becomes that positive emotion for them when they see it and they remember it. Right, and so so you don't necessarily have to teach a child how to do the meditation. You have to model it for them. And tomorrow, I'm going to get into the importance of compassion in this same uh, same regard, and how important it is, how really vitally valuable it is to model compassion and self compassion for our children. So I hope you're able to watch that video tomorrow. As always, if you would like to get some information about how to do these practices so that you yourself can, can start to regulate and so that you can model that for the people around you, whether it's the children or the adults around you, right? It's a beneficial thing. And I would love to explain more of these benefits and talk to you about how to do some of these practices. You'll be amazed at how easy it can be. All you gotta do is hit me up, okay? Go to my website, artburnscoaching.com. You can book a, a free coaching call there, uh, or you can email me or comment on this post wherever you're seeing it, and let's just get into a conversation together. All right? Let's do it. It can't hurt just to have a conversation, so let me know, okay? I would love to meet you, and I'd love to talk to you about this, and I would love to help you to, to, to you know, these really, so there's three practices. That's it. There's three practices. It's not going to take more than 10 minutes out of your day, I promise you. And you're, it's amazing the benefit that you're going to get from this. All right, everybody. Thank you very much. I wish you well. And I'll be back again tomorrow to talk about my favorite subject, which is compassion. And most importantly, self-compassion. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.